Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides support resources to people who are navigating SCI stigma. You can find on the podcast interviews with people who are living with herpes. You can find interviews with people who've dated people with herpes. You can find interviews with people who are living with HIV, sex educators, um, therapists, mental health professionals, healthcare providers, and more. Um, the more is very vague, <laughs> mainly because that's where I come in and I kind of talk about my own personal experiences um, navigating this. And my experiences with therapy are probably what's going to be most highlighted right now because that is something that I'm focused on with uh, something positive for positive people as an organization. So um, we now have a therapist in our network. We're able to support people who are living in Missouri and Georgia, I believe, based on where our therapists are located who are part of the network. So if you're someone who is needing a therapist that is uh, queer friendly, sex positive, and someone that you can speak to about your diagnosis, feel free to reach out and we'll get you, uh, we'll get the ball rolling. The process isn't perfect. We're just now starting it. I just got um, a couple of people who are on board and a therapist who's going to be facilitating this with me. So fingers crossed that this process goes smoothly and when we're able to get people um, to say whether or not it was useful, then that means the fundraisers and the money that we raise is going to be through the roof and we've got something that's really, really going to help people. And hopefully it's something that the people who are struggling the most, um, if they can't afford it, then they'll be able to get this support without having to pay for it. Um, I do ask that people pay it forward. You know, if there's someone who can afford to pay for therapy, I just ask that they leave a donation. We've been very fortunate over the past couple of weeks. Um, and part of this, I thank Melissa uh, from Sex Positive Families, who told me, you need to start asking for money. <laughs> I do a terrible job of that. And I'm so thankful to them for uh, making that a point in our last board meeting. Um, they're one of my board of directors um, that serve as advisors. I'm not outside, I promise. But we're at that time of the day where those bugs that go re 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 are out. So you're going to hear that from time to time and you're going to hear a dog walking around upstairs. But those should be the only interferences. All right. So with all that said, if you have benefit from any of the content uh, from something positive for positive people, from me personally, from the H on my chest Instagram account, from a conversation that we've had. I ask that you please, please, please consider leaving a donation because it is supporting the efforts of big picture. It's going to look like a network of sex positive therapists and organizations that people are going to be able to go to in relation to receiving sexual health um, treatment and testing and education. So this is uh, where I'm feeling called to drive this, especially after the experience that I shared on episode 142, when I encountered um, healthcare providers who weren't comfortable uh, talking about sex and probably could have prevented my reinfection of chlamydia. 
So um, that's episode 142 if you want to check that out. <clears throat> and so now we're going to get into this episode. This doesn't have a title yet, so maybe at some point I'll say something that becomes the podcast title. Um, I'm recording in my living room um, and it's kind of open, so hopefully my tone is good enough. This is going to be a one-take thing. I'm not editing this. Um, I got to get ready to leave for San Diego, uh, actually, <laughs> in what will be at the time of this release yesterday that was so complicated i'm leaving thursday to go to san diego y'all that's it (laughs) okay so uh i won't be active on instagram over the course of this weekend um of the release of this podcast but um feel free to still like reach out let me know what you think of this podcast episode and donations can be made through the something positive for positive people website at www.spfpp.org and on the homepage, you'll see options to become a Patreon subscriber. You can donate via PayPal and you can also donate via Venmo. And all of that is linked on the homepage once you scroll down a little bit. Now let's get into it. This episode is about and for men. Um, a few weeks ago, I took um, questions from people who follow the H on my chest Instagram page in regards to what they wanted to know about men with herpes. And I also have some statements and questions here from men who can also uh, give us perspective. So it's not just all mine. And um, I know that I have not really been big on sharing my own experience as a man with herpes on my own podcast, just because it just seems kind of like It was something that never really crossed my mind because it's mine and like I'm facilitating the conversations and um, I do this thing where I try not to make things about me and I try to keep it about the guests. But with the way that the questions came in and how common some of them are and some of the private messages that I get uh, that seem to be really consistent across the board, um, I thought it was useful to put together an episode exclusively Um, about that and for that not to say that this topic won't come up again ever on something positive for positive people but there will be space here for dudes with herpes so to speak all right so here i got an email from uh i'm not gonna say his name but it was a guy he says hey courtney i saw you are doing a podcast on herpes and discussing with other guys who also have it and how they deal with it Firstly, I want to say a massive thank you as there really is not enough of this type of content available to men and I personally feel left in the dark over a lot of issues surrounding it. One of the biggest things I struggle with having herpes is the feeling of being so limited with sex. Not just myself, but my partners also feel this way. I recently had a girlfriend, and although we broke up because of other reasons, she desperately wanted to give me oral sex and would regularly ask me stuff like, will your herpes really never disappear, or you've not had any symptoms for a long time, it must be safe now. But I really wasn't sure what I can and can't do. Whenever I would look up advice on the internet, There was little to no information other than wear a condom or don't do it. For a long time, I figured it was something I would get over. But after meeting several girls who really wanted to do it, I not only felt upset, I couldn't receive it. I also felt like I let my partners down as they couldn't do something they really wanted to do. 
Can you please ask the guys on your podcast, how do they overcome or handle the feeling of being limited in their sex lives? And if they do include oral sex in their sex lives, specifically blowjobs, how do they go about it? Is there times when it's safer to do it or must I always wear a condom? Also, how can I access your podcast? I wouldn't want to miss it for the world and would love to listen as soon as it's ready. Again, thank you and the guys who will be discussing this topic. We'll be discussing this topic with. It's so amazing that finally I can find a group of guys who have a similar issue as me and I won't feel alone by it. I really appreciate it. Many thanks. And then he closes with his name. So first off, I want to thank you for this email. Um, It was very well thought out, well written. Um, And congratulations to you for meeting people who are enthusiastic about wanting to give you a blowjob, man. That's exciting. Um, It's unfortunate that the topic of uh, like transmission and uh, the the possibility of the partner contracting it, you know, is something that halts progression um, for you psychologically as well as for them psychologically. So going through this email, I want to start at the beginning. First off, you know, thank you for, uh, again, reaching out. Um, now, being limited with sex. Let's talk about that first. When we look at sex pre-herpes versus post-herpes, I think the main difference is communication. I know for myself, I know for nine out of the 10 people, um, nine out of 10 people, every 10 people that I speak with, they talk about having not talked about sexual health prior to their diagnosis. It's like now that we have herpes, we really need to be the leader, the responsible one in progressing the discussion about sexual health because we have to ethically disclose to our sexual partner, our potential sexual partner, right? And so that to me, and I think I can speak for a lot of people when I say this, but the communication piece has been um, one of the most important things that's changed uh, since uh, my herpes diagnosis. Everything else has really been the same until I began exploring. So when we talk about the limitations of you being able to receive oral sex, what other ways can you be with someone? So guys still do receive oral sex. So do um, women. So do uh, people, just people. People receive and give oral sex uh, with herpes. But this is a choice. And I think that it's very important that you understand that the line here between what makes it ethical or unethical or right or wrong, however it is that you see it in your mind, is that you are giving someone all of the information and allowing them to make the choice on what they want to do with it, whether or not they want to move forward. So if you're still uncomfortable with possibly passing this on to a partner, then Do what you need to do in order to feel safe. There's barrier methods. um, There's the antivirals that you can take. um, And with what we're learning about COVID or from COVID, what we're learning is that viruses, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, translate that over to sex. And it's wear a condom and practice good hygiene. Like that's the way I see it. And if the people are informed and, um, you 
are exchanging consent with one another, then that's up to you all. Like being able to negotiate this and what the other person is comfortable with based on the precautions that you're taking. So it's really important for you to take care of your body. The guys that I've spoken with, um, we all say the same thing, you know, eat better nutrition wise, move your body. So that may include working out, that may be running, that may be yoga, but some sort of movement on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be hitting the gym and lifting heavy weights and chest day, three days a week and one leg day. No, it doesn't have to be that. It can just be something as simple as doing some movement. You can go for a hike. You can go for a bike ride. Those kinds of things. And then really managing your mental health, right? I'm sorry that these stigmatizing statements were made to you. Like, will your herpes ever disappear? Or you've only, you haven't had any symptoms for a long time. It must be safe now. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. Um, I wish that there were more resources of education for people who don't have herpes, but there's really no incentive for them to look up the information unless they either have symptoms or they've been disclosed to by someone, right? Um, I think back to when I didn't know that I had herpes and the only thing that made me really look into it was the fact that I had a scare and that scare made me a freaking herpesologist, Wait a minute. No, that's like a uh, that's like a reptile thing, I think. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it really made me understand everything I needed to know about the virus, which is that it's so misunderstood and it's a virus. Like that's ultimately what you have to do. So, speaking for myself, um what I would do is just practice good hygiene, take care of my mental health. I move and I've eaten significantly better than I have before. Not to say I'm perfect, but I make it a point to, uh, like now, this was something that's new to me, but um, I don't buy meat to cook at home. So at home, I have to eat uh, my vegetables. I'm eating black beans. I'm eating white rice, brown rice, um, broccoli, different vegetables, and a whole lot of fruit, like oranges, bananas. Um, and I'll eat oatmeal for breakfast, despite how much I dislike oatmeal and I dislike bananas when I put them together with a little bit of peanut butter and vanilla almond milk with no sugar added. It's tolerable. <laughs> All right. So those are a couple of things. And um, as far as overcoming, handling the feeling of being limited, um, I, I hope that I was able to answer that question, which is just with communication. Communication has become the most powerful tool in my sex life. Being able to communicate fosters an environment for trust. That trust shows respect. And that respect allows you to be as respectful or disrespectful in the bedroom as you both consent to being to one another and one another's genitals. So there's also uh, different ways of being with one another. Perhaps you can use your hands. Perhaps, um, you know, if you're feeling any tingling sensation in your body, if you feel that an outbreak may be coming on, you would want to avoid that. So things like that are what's going to help here. Okay. And as far as like safer times, again, it's just going to be um, whenever you learn your body, you will begin to understand when you're having an outbreak coming on and when you're not. And also, I, I think this is really important here because I've made this mistake. Um, I've gotten drunk. I've had too much to drink and then had sex. And not all of the precautions have always been taken, you know, so 
try to leave alcohol out of the equation. Um, if you meet someone and you hit it off, like try not to have sex. Don't hook up drunk. Like wait till the next morning when everybody's semi hungover and be like, Hey, what's up? You want to do this? And they had a conversation, but, um, you can also have these conversations ahead of time. All right. Um, the podcast is available on all podcast listening platforms, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Google Podcasts. Now they changed the name, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, anywhere that you can download podcasts. Or you can just go to the website, www.spfpp.org. Click on the podcast tab and you'll see the latest episode. And then it'll go down into the uh, from chrono- reverse chronological order. Um Cool. So I think that covered that. That was a really, really long one. So since we're at this point right now, I think it's also important that we talk about uh, getting tested. And um, one of our podcast sponsors is Let's Get Checked. <laughs> so if you visit www.trylgc.com SPFPP, you will see several different options for different health test kits, right? The one that I want to speak on is the STI testing kit. So there's options to get tested for everything from, here we go, I'm going to try this again, HIV, trick em, trick, trick, it's called trick, <laughs> uh, vaginosis, some kind of vaginosis. Ah, I know chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, um, herpes type one and two. Now with the herpes test, this test will just tell you if you're shedding. It's a urine test. They look for any signs of shedding. So um, I am positive for genital HSV2. I tested positive eight years ago. Um, I've gotten tested like five years ago and it was the same thing. No, I'm sorry. Three years ago when it was the same thing um, genitally, right? So when I got my test results back, it said non-reactive for herpes type one, herpes type two. So I called, I was like, what do you mean non-reactive? And I saw that they checked my pee. It's like, well, I thought you had to check blood or like an outbreak in order to know this. But the customer service was really cool because I had more questions after that and they were able to answer everything and put things in a way that I was able to understand to articulate to you all. So when you take this kind of a test, um, it took two or three days to get to me. And then I um, had to prick my finger for blood samples for the HIV and syphilis, I believe, test. And perhaps a couple of others were tested through the blood. And then I had to pee in a vial or in this little box with a plastic bag in it that was like perfectly set to where I could pour it into the vial. It was it was very it was innovative <laughs> to say the least. And, um, I sent that off and in about three days, uh, three to five days, I believe I got my test results back, um, through the app. It was secure. It was fast. It was safe. And it was really easy. The hardest part was me. I worked out before I did the, uh, test and it was hard for me to get blood. So I got down to my last little, uh, pricker on my finger and had to just let it drip into the vial. And that was so like, adrenaline rushing for me because it's like oh man this is it if i don't get enough blood out of this one i'm gonna have to call him and get another one <laughs> so yeah that's uh again you get 30 percent off when you go to www.trylogic.com but the trylogic doesn't have vowels in it it's t-r-y-l-g-c.com slash s-p-f-p-p and when you pick which test you want um you'll get 30 percent off at checkout when you enter the code SPFPP when you're checking out, it's important to get tested.
All right, now, here we go. Oh, someone left a comment, actually, on episode 116, which was with Stephanie Boyd, um, the spiritual significance of herpes, right? So the comment goes, the conversation about asking, in quotations, about SCI status at around the 49 to 50 minute mark in itself does not solve any problems. Most people in the heat of the moment are going to say no unless there is a serious relationship developing. Human nature is not to abandon instant sexual gratification in order to get tested and wait for results. I'm like Stephanie. I'm the person who, of course, would tell the truth. I can't tell you how many women I have disclosed my HSV status to. And they responded to me. I have it, too. This was after several dates, in some cases, six or more dates. Were they going to tell me, in parentheses, if I didn't tell them first, question mark? I don't think so. Okay. So there's a couple of things here, including um, I probably should have plugged in here what was said at the 49, 50 minute mark. But I thought that he did a pretty good job explaining um, what we're talking about here. And it's a matter of disclosing, right? And not disclosing in the moment and when is it a good time to disclose for me i like to do it early when i was on dating sites i'm on tinder bumble i've put it in my profile um i've recently taken it off just to see what can happen or what will happen if like a little bit of conversation happens and then i'm disclosing my hsb status you know just talking about what i do and things like that to see what kind of a response i would get but I can't agree here. I don't agree. Um, most people in the heat of the moment are going to say no. So I'm assuming that the question is uh, what we talked about was, hey, asking a person about their sexual health and their recent SCIs. I've done it. And it's been since I've had herpes and since I started to follow more of the sex positive uh, accounts on social media. And learning about consent negotiations, it's become very easy for me to have the conversation. Um, after my partner and I ended things, um, one of my first relationships was with someone. Um, we were we met in real life at a conference, and then she and I had exchanged uh, contact information. And at some point, uh, she expressed interest. I was like, "Oh, you know, I didn't know that this was a thing. Like, I <laughs> I didn't think you liked me." And that started a conversation that started negotiations. It was like, hey, well, I have genital HSV2. Here's my last time I was tested. Here's what I was tested for. And it's all in a text exchange as well. And she was able to say, well, you know, I understand herpes. I'm aware of what the risks are. And um, she also uh, got tested um, right before we were able to meet up. She was able to get her results. And I make an effort to get tested every three months. So I had just gotten my test results back in and both of us knew what the other person's status or most recent status was. And um, yeah, from there we negotiated condom use. We negotiated um, what people were allergic to, like as far as like skin touching, um, what kinds of lubes and oils were okay and not. And it was like, even when I told my therapist about this experience, he was like, what you actually had that conversation it's like yeah and that was a lot more sexy than it sounds <laughs> but it also set the foundation for a safe 
fun environment. Like you don't often get fun and safe unless you have communication and you have trust there. So I, yeah, human nature is going to be to abandon instant sexual gratification for some people. For others, human nature is going to be to do the right thing and be honest. And then for other people, it could be lying. It could be flat out lying. And I believe that when you do disclose to someone, perhaps you give them, you you shock them with that piece of the conversation, especially if you're about to be intimate. No one's expecting that. And you know, if there's like hesitance there or anything, then I think that it's safe to say we probably shouldn't move forward. You know, if you're not an enthusiastic, yes, after me disclosing and wanting to talk to you about sexual health, then it's a no. It's a no. Um, yeah, I've, I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with all of my partners and, um, it's important to one thing I've learned, understand, uh, like the, their frequency of testing or perhaps like the most recent time they were tested. And I'm not saying you got to like ask, Oh, when's the last time you slept with anyone unprotected? Like you don't have to go into that kind of details, but this very, this is very accurate depiction of how aware they are of their sexual health. I'm at a point now where if you don't want to talk to me about sex and sexual health, we don't need to be doing sex <laughs> because our sexual health is going to be affected by what either of us do and don't know about our statuses. And not only are we putting the other person uh, at risk, um, we're putting ourselves at risk, but anyone like outside of us, you know, if we come together, do our thing and we go elsewhere unaware of what our statuses are, how many other people could we potentially be putting at risk? So I think that human nature is naturally to do the right thing. I think it's naturally to be honest, to be real. Um, and it, uh, under the right circumstances, that isn't the case. Um, but I don't know that we can just say everyone's going to be like, no, I don't have an STD after you disclose to them or after you ask them if they have any STDs. I think more people are likely to give you an answer than they are to, uh, to, to just flat out say no, give you the real answer or say, I don't know. All right. And then when you got to the point about, you know, going on so many dates and then hearing I have it too, that would really bum me out. Um, I don't know how I would take that, but I know that I had an experience with someone who um, my buddy told me that she knew I had herpes and she had reached out to me you know, on her own and we began conversing and uh, we started seeing each other. And at some point I just asked, I was like, hey, did you know I had herpes before you and I started talking? She was like, no. I was like, oh, okay. I left it at that. And then one day I saw my buddy and I asked him, I was like, hey, did she know that I had herpes? And he was like, oh, yeah. I told, I told uh, her best friend and her best friend told her. And that just completely turned me off. It turned me off that she lied to me. I don't do well with that. Like, don't lie to me. Please don't. Because that is, that, that's a huge boundary breaker for me. If you're going to lie to me, you better be surprising me with something. Like, tell me we go in one place and then we end up at uh, one of my favorite food places. <laughs> like, that's the, those are the acceptable lies to me at least. So, um, 
yeah, that kind of thing ends relationships. And I understand your hesitancy there. You're on all these dates, and I'm sure that you want to impress whoever it is that you're taking out. I know that you're wanting to, or I'm sorry, I sense that you're wanting to um, take things in a way that you both feel safe with one another, um, and you want to do all of the 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 dating the right things as far as dating goes so this works for you and then they tell you oh i have it too i'd be curious about that too man i really would be um i don't know that there's a best time to disclose i understand that there is a best time for you to disclose right and that's on you as the chooser to be able to make that choice of when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it. But we have to be able to lead the conversations and initiate the conversations. That willingness to do so is going to be so much more powerful, so much more useful to you throughout the dating process. And when you go through the process of disclosing, because you have the power when you're able to confidently initiate and say, hey, let's talk about our sexual health. And let it go however it's supposed to go. Um, I hope that this answers your question here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next one. So here's not a question, just thanks for your work. Also, your voice is quite soothing. I used to really hate my voice. Um, my aunt, who's seven years older than me, my dad's sister, uh, we used to always, she used to make fun of me all the time because I talked with a lift. And she was like, you sound like Daffy Duck, and be laughing at me and shit. And I will never forget that. (laughs) So I would go out of my way to keep my tongue in my mouth whenever I spoke. And like, I always thought I sounded like a girl when I was young. Um, I'm a pretty late bloomer as far as, uh, (laughs) oh, I can't believe I just said that. I'm not editing it, but um, as far as like my voice sounding the way it it does, and I think seventh grade, I used to do a real good ludicrous voice. It's like, Luda. I, I, we'd prank call people and say that they won something on the radio. And that was always fun. But um, I think that more so like talking from the diaphragm for me has given my voice some kind of like resonance. And it feels better to speak this way than talking from my throat. Whatever that. Yeah, like this. This would be how I sound if I'm talking from my throat. So I'm letting it just kind of do its own thing. Ooh, man, that's a big difference. So thank you. I appreciate that. Someone else wrote in, how do we find y'all to date? I'm reading it just like that too. (laughs) So she was just uh, asking, how do you find men with HSV to date? Um, There's a number of resources there. I'll tell you, we're on Instagram for sure. We're on Tinder. We're on Bumble. We're in the real world. We're out exploring our interests. So many people have herpes. Not many of us know not many of us have a need to put it out there that we have herpes, but we're out there. We're everywhere. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, you have to be willing to put yourself out there first and risk the possibility of rejection, of having your feelings hurt, of um, someone not being into you because of your diagnosis or for other reasons. But this is how we find people. We have to put ourselves out there. And I I really don't like using that phrase because there's so many definitions of putting yourself out there. And what I mean by that is expressing yourself, express your creativity, what's unique about you. Um, I see so many Instagram pages of just art, of various forms of activism, education, and just people really being in tune with their passion. Um, 
it comes to a point where you don't have to find people to date. People are going to find you because they want to date you because y'all have common interests. And because you connect through that passion, you connect through your curiosity for the world, your mutual interests, and that's where we connect. We connect there, and from there, it can turn into friendship, it can turn into relationships, it can turn into uh, marriage, it can turn into heartbreak, it can turn into a lot of different things. The more people that you are willing to connect with authentically, the more likely you are to welcome in the right people who are for you. So it's really all about realness. Be real with yourself about what you want, what you have to offer, where you're willing to go in order to find uh, what it is that you're looking for. So um, there's also the dating sites and then um, the ones that are specifically for people who are living with HSV. So those are options. And then, oh, the secret support groups that are on Facebook and um, other social media platforms. These are really good for socializing, connecting, and building and creating community. And um, these are, they're, they're very, they're safe. Um, if you're someone who has herpes and you're wanting to connect with other people who have herpes in a way that it doesn't really seem like people have herpes. Um, I just went to Indianapolis uh, maybe three, four weeks ago. And um, we had an event there. There were maybe 100 people there. Um, we had a hotel block. We had a like a night party. There were day games, like speed dating, social uh, events. And the crowd was about 50-50. It was pretty even between males and females. And, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just overall a good time. And I wish that more people were able to see that. But we have to, you know, maintain anonymity for people just because of stigma. Stigma really sucks. And so the way that we navigate this stigma is just by getting people together who are just like social. It's all about being social. We played flag football. Um, we hooped a little bit. Um, and what's interesting is, oh, I probably shouldn't say this, but th please don't like get the wrong idea. But um, someone made a joke about, you know, COVID is a virus, herpes is a virus, or maybe like us having taken antivirals is the reason that no one who came to this place from all over the world got COVID. So um, that that's something that hasn't been proven. <laughs> I'm not a medical professor, a professional. Um, I can't say that that's the case, but that's that happened. No one got COVID. Just saying. Uh, so, yeah, that's how you find us. Like find us in the groups, find us in the streets. Um, I ain't saying, you know, but. <laughs> Maybe you could wear a t-shirt, ask me about my herpes, and perhaps you'll find somebody that way. You got to wear a mask so it's not like anyone's going to see your face. I got to stop. I got to stop with these jokes. Oh, So, yeah, if you want to do something like that, like now's the ideal time. You know, we got a social distance, so perhaps something like that would be acceptable. What's funny is now I'm thinking about this kid who... uh made a YouTube video wearing a mask, like a breathing mask to cover up his face as he talked about herpes. And it was just like, bro, that's so stigmatizing. And here I am telling you to do it. Ugh. Next question. Curious about how men deal with society's definition of men now with an HSV diagnosis. I like this question. The, I, I think that we need to talk about mainstream society. Mainstream society says men are tough, men are strong, men are leaders, men are uh, right, <laughs> men are superior. That's what mainstream media says. I think 
I'm sorry, mainstream uh, society says. I think that the real society understands that the man, the woman, like that duality doesn't necessarily exist because there are people who sometimes feel more masculine, sometimes feel more feminine, and they express this in a way that creates their gender identity um, or their gender. I don't know if identity is appropriate to use there, but um, looking at what it means to be masculine, um, a leader, a thinker, a planner, and then with feminine, it's more compassion, feeling, and something else. Uh, I should have pulled up a chart or something so that I could look that up. Um, but yeah, I think it's an understanding that there's masculine and feminine in everything. Um, I think that the herpes diagnosis more so amplifies what we think we need to do. So for men, I know that we've tried to make more money. We've tried to make ourselves more attractive by being in the gym, starting to eat right, change up our diet. Now, all of a sudden, we want to go running all the time. Uh, that's what it makes us do. It makes us have to overcompensate by being hot or being attractive in another way to where you just completely would overlook the fact that we have HSV. So now we have to become better providers. We have to have more money. We have to find a way to make ourselves taller. We need the big truck. We need the new car. We need fancy things. We need to impress you. We need to impress our potential partners, men, women, whatever gender. That's what it makes us do. Men are supposed to be impressive. Women want a man who is dominant, who is confident, who has high social status, who has a lot of money. Like That's the kind of shit mainstream society pumps into our heads. And so now what's being challenged with HSV is highlighting the reality behind that in that it's not sustainable. It's not what we want for ourselves most of the time. And honestly, like when we do pursue these things and get them, we're feeling way more empty because we didn't listen to what our real uh, intuition, what our intuition wants for us. We're listening to everybody else rather than ourselves. And shit, I'm guilty of this too. Like even at this point, you know, I felt at one point, like I felt like I was queer because I was attracted to a nine, a non-binary person. And this non-binary person talked a lot about their sex toys and clearly had a vagina. And I was like, when I found out that they used them, they pronouns, I was like, oh my God, what the fuck does this mean for me? Like, what am I, am I, am I queer? Like, do I like a gender that's not women? Like, what does that mean for me? Right. And so my masculinity became in question from that, <laughs> like my manliness and what that meant for me. And so after doing some research, like it made me educate myself and learn about uh, queerness and learn about um, what it meant to be non-binary and other gender identities in a way that was like, oh, okay, well, I just had my sexual identity reaffirmed for me through this experience. And that didn't have anything to do with HSV. That's just an example um, of my personal experience with having to, um, with having to uh, look at what it means to be a man, right? So dealing with this and HSV, it just means that you have to overcompensate and unfortunately repress the feminine inside of you because like in order to amplify your masculine, you've got to repress the feminine 
that's what they that's what we're told by mainstream society whereas the underground society or the reality here is that the more feminine you are the more masculine you can be and that's just my opinion and vice versa so for me in doing this podcast like I have to turn both up I have to be able to listen I have to be able to hear people I have to be compassionate but I also have to take charge and take initiative and if I'm the better I'm able to do one the better I'm able to do the other I don't think there should be a repression of one in order to amplify the other because that's I, that's where I believe we get into the toxicity of it. Like it's toxic to um, exert masculinity in a way that is domineering, demeaning, etc. But when it's leading, when it's safe, when it's um, it's it's what's another good word? It's disciplined. It's like got integrity. I think that that's where we need to see ourselves. After our HSV diagnosis, it needs to bring us to reality. And that's what it does. I think that this has brought a lot of us to reality. And the reality is that mainstream doesn't work for us anymore. We have to be unconventional. Hopefully that answers your question there too. Um, oh, speaking of, I mentioned therapy a little bit earlier. Uh, my therapist uh, has been super helpful for me. Um, when you feel that you are ready for therapy if you don't want to go through something positive for positive people i strongly encourage you to check out better help go to www.betterhelp.com spfpp and you'll get 10 percent off of your first month of counseling services my therapist and i have talked about hsv we've talked about my relationship with rejection my relationship with my dad and my younger brothers i bet a lot of y'all probably didn't know that but i'm the oldest of five siblings I am technically an only child because I'm my parents' only child. My dad had two more boys. My mom had a girl and a boy after me. So this is a very unique situation <laughs> to describe to people. But they're all my brothers and my sister. Um, I love them all the same. Uh, the relationship was the way that I view my dad. It's the way that potentially my younger siblings view me. And after talking with my younger siblings after having had a therapist we do have a much closer relationship um, and I understand that there was no harbored resentment towards me for growing up and not being there with them because I'm much older than they are uh, and they they weren't upset and I think I needed that part of me needed that because I was definitely avoiding a conversation with one of my younger brothers to see how he felt because he's very expressive in his anger and I don't really care for confrontation. Like, if you want to yell, I'll just be like, all right, say what you're going to say. I'm not about to just fucking sit here and tolerate this shit. But um, it was good for me to hear him speak and use his anger in a way that was very articulate. And I got to watch how he's matured through our interaction with one another. So um, I went into therapy thinking that I was just struggling with compassion fatigue like I wanted to prepare myself so that I could continue to provide all of you all with support and those who are going to come in the future and those who've been here in the past um, being able to be here for you all in a way that doesn't drain me so this was another one of the things that we talked about um, I recently talked about to him about my experience with chlamydia my imposter syndrome like my um insecurities around like my self-worth oh this is a deep one i'm going to share here and this will probably come up at some other point but my self-worth is tied to my ability to provide so there's a direct 
correlation between my identity, my self-worth, my self-value, and how much money I make or have. And that causes me to have an extreme level of insecurity. And um, now that that's come to surface, that's something that we're going to work on. So um, you can get to this point as well. Therapy isn't just exclusively about telling the therapist you have herpes and then figuring out how to navigate stigma. No, it's way deeper than that. All the work that I've done on myself, the journaling, the conversations, the research, the reading, the YouTube videos, the podcasts, the documentaries, all of that got me to a point where I could, once something happened, like let's uh, use the example of like uh, something big, a big event happening in my life that makes me feel an intense emotion. I'm able to name the emotion and then like be able to deal with it so that I can heal with it. That event probably had smaller events that led up to it that I just completely overlook. And there's something there. There's patterns that are repeated. There's lessons. And what my therapist is doing for me is challenging me to challenge myself to go back and look at those little things that I thought were insignificant. So www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP if you can afford therapy. And then if you can't, please feel free to reach out to me so that we can we can get you um, some sort of assistance there. Again, for 10% off your first month of counseling services, visit www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. And that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash SPFPP. Next question. Curious about how men deal with society's definite. Oh, wait, I just read that. <laughs> have you have your outlooks on masculinity and disclosure changed? And then they said, rep SCL St. Louis. Woo -woo. My outlooks on masculinity and disclosure have definitely changed. I don't know if this is like masculinity disclosure as in like one thing, if we're putting them together or separating them. But I want to answer this question in a way that um, my masculinity has definitely changed. And part of that is thanks to the Let's Talk Bra podcast. Shout out to Jeremy. Um, they have done a really good job on this podcast breaking down masculinity in a way for a black man to understand. Because my examples of masculinity are what it means to be a white man, not what it means to be a man of color, right? So when we talk about masculinity, it looks different in white men versus black men, right? So yes, we have to provide, but we have to provide in different ways. A white man might have been given certain um, privileges and advantages that me as a black man, I don't have. So if you compare their masculinity to my masculinity, then it, it, it blows mine out of the water, so to speak, because theirs is more than mine due to the privileges they've been granted. Now, not having had those privileges, not having any advantages or having to work with what I got and make something out of it, like do a lot with a little bit. When you look at it that way, as far as making something out of nothing, that's a completely different uh, aspect of masculinity. So it, it looks different based on culture. It looks different based on your environment. It looks different based on your experiences and where your masculinity needs to show up. Now, when we talk about uh, this in regards to disclosure, I think that for me, it definitely makes me lead the conversation. I'm not timid or hesitant to have the conversation. I initiate the conversation. I initiate the conversation 100% of the time. And so that 
wasn't there before. It wasn't there before my diagnosis. It wasn't there a few times after my diagnosis. I'm not disclosed to people. And over time, you know, when I decided, all right, I really want to be, um, I want to be a whole human. I want to be integrated. Like, I want to be an integrated male. They talk about this in No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Donald Glover. I don't think it was Donald. It's Robert. Dr. Robert Glover. Um, And he talks about this concept of the integrated male. He's not masculine only. He's balanced. He's a healthy masculine because there's feminine and masculine energy that flow through him. And you see that in his behavior. So... In that, in terms of that, like it's definitely made me more solid, powerful, strong, and leading the conversation around my sexual health. Thank you for that question from St. Louis. Is it true that males have less outbreaks than females? Apparently, because the penis or male genitalia skin is thicker or more resilient than females. Mm, This is a people thing. A person who may have a compromised immune system may not be able to combat the virus when it sheds and has outbreaks compared to someone with a good immune system. Um, To someone who may be into fitness, who manages their stress and who um, eats well and they've got like antioxidants and uh, anti-inflammatory type foods, their likelihood of having fewer outbreaks is significantly higher than someone who is not making that conscious decision about their uh, their health choices, their food choices, right? So that's something that we have to take into consideration, not whether or not a penis or a vagina gets more outbreaks. Now, what I will say is that um, I hear from far more women who do have outbreaks, uh, Genitally, let me say that, genitally around their cycle, around their menstrual cycle um, due to fluctuations and changes of the hormones, probably like mood and things like that. I haven't done any research on it. I just from the conversations that I've had, it's very common for women to get outbreaks around the time of their menstrual cycle. So uh, that would be the better answer there (laughs) than Oh, if you have a penis, you get fewer outbreaks. But if you have a vagina, you don't, you know, or vice versa. Um, So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Let me see if there's anything else here. I covered all of the questions. Um, We got a little bit of time. So one thing that I've noticed about men with HSV that I feel is important here is that we're very ready to do something about it now and then forget about it. Like we're almost... um, avoidant to dealing with the feelings we don't want to feel the feelings we don't want to cry we don't want to be sad and this kind of goes back to what it means to be a man what it means to be a man in our mainstream society is to be avoidant it means to avoid emotions get those out of here we don't need that we don't have space to be emotional we need to get shit done like we don't have time to be emotional it's kind of what the message is uh bringing to us now how this shows up in terms of herpes is when it's time for me to get my diagnosis, I may go into denial. All right, doctor, what do I need to do? And the doctor just says, oh, just wear condoms. All right, cool. And then we go on about our business. We're not dealing with our feelings around it. We're not asking the questions of a compassionate person like, okay, well, if I have an outbreak at the base of my penis where my pelvis is and the condom doesn't protect that, 
and you told me wear a condom, like we're, we're not rationalizing in a compassionate way, right? Because if that were the case, then we know that a condom isn't going to always protect the person. So we get the information. What they give us is what we hold on to. And then when it comes to disclosure, uh, the way that men seem to do it is they, I don't want to say everybody doesn't, but it seems to not be a thing um, for a lot of women I've talked to because they've just not been disclosed to. So I'm finding out through the women what these men have said for the most part. And it was, oh, I was told I just needed to wear a condom. Oh, I haven't had an outbreak in forever. Oh, that's herpes. Oh, and that's just, that's what's happening. And they, they confess at times that they knew they had it or that they got it from a previous partner who had it. They dated someone who's had herpes before. Um, and there just seems to be no responsibility there or any compassion at all. You know, so while, you know, primarily women will, you know, receive their diagnosis and kind of lose their shit, guys just kind of go into shock about it. And they're like, all right, well, what do I want to do? And the guys who reach out to me, thankfully, are like taking a major first step for themselves because they're seeking support. And that requires a little bit of that feminine energy because you recognize that you need something and you're putting yourself out there in a position to ask for it. So I commend all of the men who followed up and touched base with me during this time, um, during the time of their diagnosis and they were looking for resources and that they were able to find this. That's so amazing that... So many people have come through something positive for positive people and got what they needed and then been able to go on with their life and refer people back here whenever they need to, um, leaving reviews and supporting the podcast as best they can in whatever way they can. It has been a lovely, lovely experience, and I look forward to being able to do this ongoingly. Um, like I said before in other episodes, um, Interviews are being postponed until I can meet people in person. I don't have the same recording equipment that I had before. So this podcast episode may sound different than other podcast episodes for that reason. And I'm also in my living room where it's wide open space and the sound quality isn't the same as at the gym because they're doing construction across the street and next door. And it's just a lot of hammering and drilling and everything. And then y'all don't need to hear all of that. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast on whatever listening platform you use. It means a lot to us. It's helping us with being able to get um, more people visibility, get us more visibility to people. And we're going to be offering therapy, y'all. Like, this was just something spoken into existence. I want to get therapy for people who are struggling with herpes. And here we are. We've got the first one set up for next week. And all I got to do is just finalize some paperwork and make the payment. And it happens. So thank you all for your donations for making this happen. Till next time, stay sex positive.